Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode being recorded embarrassingly late. This is Saturday, the 18th of December at 3.32 p.m. Saturday recording, y'all. Really apologize and had hoped to get this done earlier in the week. I guess these are excuses. Count them however you like, but we had six appointments in two days, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday, I'm almost forgetting the timeline, but was able to record with Hinch uh, for our guest Q&A. In there had a dentist appointment trying to resolve something that was kicking off the week before. Uh, things went crazy haywire. Ended up having a tooth yanked, that super, super uh, infection-y, and that infection has spread to my jaw and whatnot. So uh, today's about the first day where speaking and moving and flapping my gums is not really painful. Still in pain, but uh, anyways, antibiotics hopefully will get us over the hump. want to mention a massive thank you to many of you, uh, not only those who listen to the show on a regular basis and aren't members of the informal self-originating uh, Pruday listener group, but to the members of the Pruday in particular, y'all continue to do just kind and amazing things. And so on top of Cassie Johnston leading the Pruday to generate more than $3,400 in donations, adopt 33-plus kids in Indy, definitely underprivileged kids and make their holiday wishes come true with gifts. Just some beautiful things. I want to mention thank you to Jason Hatfield, a member of the Prue Day. Uh, Something really kind that he sent for my wife just arrived. Uh, Complete surprise. And then other members of the Prue Day. I have a beautiful card in front of me from them. Uh, Justin Holmes, uh, Ben Cohen, Chris Ward, Lance Snyder, uh, Sarah, and Jeremiah Morell, Tim Falkowitz, Jamie Carr, etc. Uh, y'all sent a really kind uh, care package for us. Some more beers for my crazy self. And y'all even uh, donated to our GoFundMe page. So uh, there are more of you who do incredibly kind things. And just wanted to say a massive thanks to all of you. Uh, on the topic of beer, uh, I have yet to crack open any of the new ones yet. Uh, why? Well, I did see... Uh, that there's one that's been sitting in the fridge for a while. Couldn't drink it again because my teeth popping off and going crazy. But uh, this is the SCP Salted Caramel Porter, which I think was sent around last year around Christmas time from Pigeon Hill Brewing Company. And I can tell you that after taking a sip, I just wonder where people come up with this stuff. (laughs) Salted Caramel Porter. Um, Yes, it qualifies as a beer. It does have taste that falls in line with the three words used to describe it. And uh, y'all of the Prue Day are just crazy. So I know I'm here for your amusement to uh, see if and what I will drink and how I will react. I'll just say thank you. And uh, some of these are wacky and wild. But I will do my best in future episodes here to uh, crack open more and describe to you the uh the wackiness that it brings to one's palate bunch of news things going on this past week one of the major items asked about in this week's episode all driven by your listener q and a items it's the uh, abu dhabi formula one season finale 
I'll touch on that a little bit when I get to it, but very briefly, since it's Saturday, and if I were doing this on Monday as I should have hopefully been able to, uh, it would have been timely. Since then, y'all have probably read a million opinions, uh, had more than your fair share of uh, thoughts and reactions to this, and probably just want it to go away from your memories. So, had Jimmy Johnson confirmed at Chip Ganassi Racing for the full season, not a big shocker, just happy that that happened. Our man David Malukas, individually, personally sponsored by the HMD Bar and Grill, uh, confirmed at Dale Coin Racing. Again, known about that. Uh, one or two other things coming that might fall into the semi-surprise category. Ed Carpenter Racing, really the last, if we're talking silly season content, of who all is going to join him, the number 20 ECR Chevy on the road and street courses heard a couple options there beyond what maybe we know about uh also kind of the time where you start to hear about indy 500 programs coming together and i haven't put any of that in print yet but i am making notes with every phone call that either comes in or goes out so that might be something that gets posted here soon doing my best it's the last note before we get to your questions doing my best to shut down for the next two weeks so I'm not sure what I'm going to do in terms of the listener Q&A brought to all of us by our great friends at Cooper Tires back next season. The Justice Brothers back next season as well. That's something uh, mentioned here for the first time. So that'll be their fourth season, I believe, uh, an upcoming fifth, I think, for Cooper. Uh, and as always, torontomotorsports.com. So Love the stability that we have here. Our partners that continue to find value in what we do and are so thankful for all of y'all. So uh, really happy that yet again, uh, the same three partners we've had are going to continue being our same three partners. I'll just mention this. I don't know if it means anything. I haven't gone out to try and pursue a fourth or more. I'm totally happy with who we have, what we have, and the way we do things. So uh, boy, I am indeed uh, a happy boy on antibiotics, and I just took a big old, what was this, Excedrin Extra Strength Ibuprofen. Consuming that with alcohol, don't do that, boys and girls, it's bad for you. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of the thing. A um, little bit of news, a little bit more news to come. So over these two weeks where I'm off, I've just sent through nine advanced stories or evergreen stories to racer. Some of them a little bit newsy, some of them whatever else, but pretty much a, Hey, I'm going to be gone. So here's some stuff. I'm mean, I'll be here, but try not to work. I do need to recharge. So use those stories as desired. There might be one or two in there that you consider uh, somewhat fun uh, as well. Uh, should be an item that goes out Monday morning, which is a thank you to all of you and the Prude listener group specifically. So take a look for that on my good old Twitter feed Monday morning. And other than that, let me take another sip of this thing and mention that I don't know if I'm going to do listener Q&A the next two weeks. Um, I might do the award show thing again where I ask you all to make up your own awards and send out some other ideas for awards and get your thoughts and compile those as the answers. I really don't know if I'm going to do any guest Q&A shows, so just trying to dial back. But I will, tomorrow and Sunday, uh, spend some time 
trying to pull some podcasts I've recorded over the last couple of years, been sitting on my hard drive, and turn those into things you actually hear instead of things I stare at on my hard drive. Crazy idea. So we'll figure out exactly what I'm going to do, but I think you're going to get to hear some stuff that's been sitting that maybe will entertain you while we take a little bit of time off from Q and anus. So did I just say Q and anus? I did. <laughs> Boy, I, you know, I need to drink more to be able to claim I'm drunk, but yes, the Q and anus might end up waiting uh, until the new year. So why don't we uh, hit the good old music bed uh, button and kick off the show here. JJ Gertler says, what was Big Al like? Speaking about Al Unser, Al Unser Sr. who passed away here week, almost week and a half ago. says, some memories of Big Al. We all know about Uncle Bobby's relationship with Fax and his chairmanship of the Bobby Unser fan club. But what was Al like when the cameras weren't on? Uh, John Wojnar says, Marshall, question regarding Big Al. Uh, says, when he took over driving duties in 87 to substitute for the injured Danny Young guys, why did they swap the car to a yellow Cummins or Cummins, depending on what side you looked at from a black Panavision scheme? Uh, and then we close here in this thread with Andrew Miller. Echoes something that I've mentioned uh, plenty of times. Full agreement, Andrew. Way too many obituary columns this year. Here's to an official internet moment of silence. For all the legends we lost this year. So JJ, let's pick up with your question. I did not know Mr. Unser particularly well. Was fortunate to meet him numerous times, interview him numerous times, and Saw him in and around the paddock as I was a young kid coming up in the sport, which was towards the end of his career. Uh, But the rather simple, reserved, somewhat stoic person that you might have observed on television broadcasts or otherwise, that's the uh, the answer that I got to know. None of those things are said in a negative or critical way. He reminded me a lot of my grandfather, the original Marshall Pruitt, Marshall Finus Pruitt. Not a man that had a ton of words to say. Someone who, when asked, responded with interest and grace and all kinds of things, but was by no means the person who walked in the room and turned everything up, and got the party rocking and rolling. Not his personality. Definitely someone who, lots of great stories to tell, funny, certainly had plenty of opinions. But for those of you who know folks like Mr. Unser, not the ones to necessarily volunteer those items first. You ask him, and then they start to flow. Not the guy to answer you. Oh, and I got another. Oh, and yeah, and this guy here. Oh, and that guy there. Oh, right. Not him. And I love the balance that he brought, as you mentioned, JJ, to his younger brother, Bobby, of course. And I see that I'm just getting a text from the deplorable Matt Swan asking for my address and said he's sending a bill collector my way. I'm telling you, these people I call my, quote, friends, the worst. Um... I just enjoyed the fact that 
if it was by phone or in person, JJ, Al's someone that you could sit with and he's more of uh, where Mike Shank uh, or even Uncle Bob, well, Uncle Bobby left his uh, uh, root beer and name, whatever, hard alcohol, but uh, you could sit with Mike Shank and he will talk to you all day long while sipping a beer uh, or Big Al was kind of sipping whiskey slowly type guy. And again, I love that because instead of knowing that you have a bit of a big personality, big performer in front of you, um, right? Someone where you go, okay, this is going to be cool, relaxed, and on his time. And never disappointed just always love that about him uh so not so many folks like that these days in indycar if there is one person who i would say i find the most in common personality wise probably ed carpenter not saying they're the same just saying that you know ed's not the first guy to offer up uh big words loud words anything else draw it out of him give him time uh, let it soak for a while, and you're going to enjoy the heck out of it. But he's not the guy revving up the crowd, jumping up and down, pounding his chest. So I'm going to miss that about Big Al for sure. Uh, John, on the change from uh, Panasonic to Cummins, not Panasonic, good Lord, Panavision, I'm sorry. I'm guessing here, uh, but knowing that Ungaius was indeed tied for the longest time with Panavision uh, and such, uh, I would say his lo- loss of being in the car. All right, I'm going to drink more. <laughs> Might have been something along those lines where without him in the car, uh, that sponsorship was no longer, uh, quote, valid. And there was a need to do uh, something with uh, another Team Penske partner, that being Cummins. And Andrew, thanks again for offering up the uh, silence to all those that we've lost uh, going to blast through the F1 stuff quickly. James Malloy um, asking, what about my general thoughts about the sham that occurred in Abu Dhabi? Discuss that with Hinch on the Q&A show again from uh, Wednesday. So I don't feel like I want to waste your time here too much. Um, Chris D'Amato asking if Michael Massey survives this. There's no way that he can uh, with Formula One slash the FIA's dignity called into question and honor and all these things called into question, uh, you simply cannot continue with this person. Uh, Even if Michael was in the clear, did everything perfectly, there's been enough acrimony, worldwide acrimony, to where you go, oh, we actually can't continue with that person because we're going to get ridiculed everywhere we go. And what's a great way to not turn the page on an ugly incident? Keep the person who was at the center of the incident in position. Uh, So, yeah. uh, No. How's this? If he does, if they do keep him, uh, things are even more broken there than we believed. Um see just mention one other closing thing on this (sighs) 
if you're going to manage a situation that's going to have massive implications, you really do need to have someone that is capable of thinking about that on their feet quickly, which I don't think Michael was able to do, or B, have someone else who is capable of stepping in and saying, hey, 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 uh, let me do the massive bullet points for you rapid fire before we make any decisions here. And if you're not thinking, let's go red, give ourselves as much time as possible to complete this race, give myself options and the team's op, let's give ourselves options. If you're not thinking about that, who else is there to do that? Bring this back to IndyCar, because obviously this is an IndyCar show. Kyle Novak is IndyCar's race director. He is the person in charge. He has stewards, driving stewards that will weigh potential penalties or actions, whatever. Novak then doles out as needed. Kyle Novak's not uh, the, quote, senior most person in race control. IndyCar president Jay Fry is there. Uh, Let's just say there are other people there. That's not speaking ill of Kyle, nor is that saying Kyle isn't in charge. But rather than leave one person to be God and handle everything in an, I was about to say, impotent way, omnipotent way, (laughs) uh, you do indeed have some senior most leaders in there as well to help, uh, whether it's advise, paint those bigger pictures I'm mentioning, whatever it might be, hey, uh, we're technically not in charge of administering the race, but we are in charge of the series as a whole. So if there's a scenario where some bigger voices are needed to be heard to think things through and then act, if by chance our race director isn't seeing the full picture, It just makes me wonder who else was in the Formula One race control area in general that might be that person to a Michael Massey. And if there wasn't that person, holy cow, uh, all on one guy's shoulders, uh, who's there? Who's there to help? Because he is certainly the person at the center of this. He's the person that will fall because of this. He certainly made more mistakes throughout the year than just how to handle Nicholas Latifi's crash with four or five laps to go at Abu Dhabi, right? He didn't have a good year by any means. But beyond what this individual did or didn't do, uh, I do have to wonder, since he has folks, quote, below him, stewards to report upwards, where was that senior layer above Michael? potentially help him out of heading in the wrong direction other than the most ardent i refuse to see things in a rational light fans i don't really know of anybody that i would consider to be looking at the entire picture completely absent of bias for a favorite team or driver or whatever else that would say the race ended properly with everything done the way it should have been done by the FIA. So then I move to, well, how do you fix that? And who do you put in there to help to make sure that whatever race director it might be, they aren't on an island if they're about to shoot themselves, the sport, the championship, and you name it, in the foot. Um, 
Vincat Hair Dumont, uh, a play on the 24 Hours of Le Mans, from Twitter asks, uh, do the superabundance of debt acquisition lead to overregulation of modern motorsports? If so, does that complexity and multiplicity of communication channels make it near impossible to manage high-profile races? Asking for a friend. I'd say yes. I'd also say not always, and I'll go maybe. So there we go. I think I just did uh, what we used to refer to uh, with the Ask the Expert column uh, once done by Kurt Cavan, which we many of us lovingly referred to as the all of the above column, where every answer was yes, no, but maybe. Um, I just gave you uh, A, B, C, or D option all at once there. Then Cat Hairs Dumont. I'll just go with the one thing that stands out. Others have mentioned and it was one of the first things that occurred to me, I don't know, last year, <laughs> maybe the year before, turn off the direct lines of communication to race control. Uh, if whomever, Toto Wolf, Christian Horner, anybody wants to get on the proverbial phone and light up race control, you are making a mistake or you must act in a certain way that's going to benefit us and harm the other person. Y'all want to get on the phone to race control? Great. I don't know what his name is or her name is, but they aren't the race director. They aren't a steward. They're someone else who is truly not much more than an admin. And he or she receives those calls or messages. Uh, I would even love to see them have a little bit of Formula One race control stationary. Old school handwritten messages uh so the time the date who it was who it's to and the message uh i'm kidding there a little bit but if the free flow of contact from pit lane to race control is going to continue okay um i'm still not totally sure about that being the right move but if so it needs to happen out of sight out of earshot, out of everything from the people running the race. And it needs to go to a person who is empowered to look at those messages and go, eh, that's garbage, throw it away. Eh, that has some validity. And pass that to a junior observer steward to then decide of the things that have been forwarded, which ones of those are worthy of passing on to a dedicated what are y'all yapping about from pit lane steward? I mean, I'd love the idea if they want to keep the communications open two, maybe three layers of filtering so that if, and when it does get to the race stewards proper, or even the race director of the hundred messages that have been sent upwards, one or two get through. I don't know. As it is right now, the ability to talk directly to the race director no more um i've mentioned the same don't believe it's as bad as formula one and indycar but mention the same thing about indycar uh they use the messaging system and there is actually a person who is the gateway for all messages um i like that i'm basically modeling indycar system off of that so that a Kyle Novak on Ari Lyon, Dyke, a Max Pappas, a Jay Fry, whomever else, isn't just getting a barrage while they're trying to keep an eye open and administer or think about or game plan what's happening. So 
I wonder without the explosion of everything coming from pit lane, as you mentioned here, Van Cat Hairs Dumont, if uh, Michael Massey at this event and maybe some others just has a bit of a, uh, a clearer mind to think and act appropriately. Uh, let's see, where do we go next? We go to Adam Kapiski. How you doing, Adam? MP, first, wishing you, your incredible wife, and the felines a very Merry Christmas. Thank you. Rocky is currently sleeping on the left. I think Rosie is with my wife. Uh, by the way, I need to mention here, uh, walked in to see my wife before I started recording to mention, hey, going to be doing this for the next hour and a half, uh, take about two hours, whatever, to get it up and posted. Need anything before I kind of focus in on this? And before I could ask any of those things, uh, walked into the bedroom and learned she was listening to uh, It's So Cold in the D. Um, one of the greatest rap songs of all time. For those of you who know, you're probably laughing hysterically right now. I know as well, because this is truly the worst rap song ever, that walking in on a Saturday afternoon nearing Christmas holiday time and finding my wife just on her own, uh, laughing hysterically, listening to It's So Cold in the D. Uh, how do you not love that woman in her entirety? That is the funniest damn thing ever. And it wasn't being done for effect. Uh, she's just in there and, and on a lark decided she had to listen to this, which we haven't heard in many years. So <sighs> I'll pause now if you want to go uh, find It's So Cold in the D on yahoo uh or uh, the msns or the northern lights or whatever old retro uh, website or the youtubes and uh yeah because oh, i think it might have gone up this is like pre myspace uh rap so it's a video well worth watching um anyways this question is after watching that cluster of an f1 finale is there time in indycar is there a time in IndyCar that something similar happened where a sanctioning body directly affected the outcome by going around the rules? <sighs> yeah, for sure. I think the 2002 Indy 500 will probably stand as the greatest example. It's the reason why Paul Tracy is still referred to as the 2002 Indy 500 winner why some referred to Elio as a two-time Indy 500 winner uh, before he won his fourth obviously and now as a fourth is referred to by probably an even smaller group as a three-time Indy 500 winner not giving him credit uh, the questions there Adam as to when the caution light came on who was leading at the time um, as I knew it then, and as I recall it now, although the IRL did not rule as such at the time, uh, I sure did come away with the belief that Paul Tracy was indeed leading, um, supposed to go back to who was leading when the yellow light came on. They said that pass had not taken place. Uh, yeah. That didn't stand out as everything that I thought it should be. That's probably the number one thing that jumps out. Um, 
I know this one maybe is really minutia laden, but was it uh, 2015 at Sonoma season finale? I'm trying to think uh, where Dixon and I was at Montoya. were leaving pit lane at the same time. I apologize if I'm forgetting the Penske driver. Um, there was the question about whether Dixon quote hit, um, the right rear tire person trying to run around the back with the tire, uh, was, there's a question as to whether, uh, that crew person, uh, who happens to be new gardens crew chief, by the way, uh, that person was intentionally running a little bit wide and holding the tire out to try and slow down Dixon to not let him uh, get out as quickly. Um, I believe Dixon was given a penalty there. I don't know if that was quote outside the rules, but it sure did seem like there was a, uh, a ruling that contravened what my eyes saw, uh, and what some other eyes saw. (sighs) I think I mentioned this recently as well. I do believe there's a rule, uh, that Indy cars don't race in the rain on ovals. And yet there was a decision to go back to green at the uh, Loudon race in 2011 that gave us the infamous willpower double bird meme. Uh, I know that Brian Barnhart takes the direct shots for that. And I'll just tell you that I've certainly been made aware that there were indeed senior folks in the race control booth. Keep in mind, this is pre Jay Fry era, pre pretty much everybody that's there now. Uh, But there was indeed a senior person above Brian in race control who gave the order to Barnhart, the race director, to go green. Uh, So whether Brian has been the correct or incorrect target of that decision, who made that decision or not, uh, I do believe that certainly contravenes what the rules would allow. So, I mean, that definitely, the, uh, the outcome of the race was certainly affected by that so yeah i mean there have been some instances adam my brain's maybe not remembering some others that i should one of the fun parts about the show is not only do y'all send in questions every week but sometimes you send in the oh hey adam asked about this and you mentioned one or two things as a response but uh why don't we uh why don't we add this and one other thing to it as well so if you have other instances that i'm blanking on right now please send those in not sure if I'm going to get to him next week or the week after or the week after that, but we'll get to it for sure. Uh, let's see. Jeremiah Morell says, was reading your piece on the Ganassi crew shuffle. No changes to the 10 car team remaining completely in place for the hashtag Prude Honda Delara. Funny how that works, Jeremiah. Yes. Um, I'll just give you the quick little crip notes as Robin Miller used to like to say. On my writing style, uh, if I'm writing about changes, for example, I'll mention the changes that are happening. Um, the writing style of some others might be to include the other cars where no changes are being made, to mention there are no changes being made elsewhere. Style-wise, I just consider that to be a waste of your time and mine. So uh, if there were changes with the 10 car, I would have written about them. But since I didn't, that was indeed a note that no, there are um, no changes there. Now, granted, there is the one change, and that is uh, with the simulation engineer. Now, granted, that was written about in a story that I think 
went the next day. So hopefully that, that circled that uh, or crossed that part out, and that being uh, young Miss Shepard, Danielle Shepard, who was the uh, sim engineer on Alex Pelot's number 10 car. She's moving over and now race engineer on the 02 Cadillac Chip Ganassi Racing DPI VR. Uh, so that's the one thing that I wrote about her moving to, uh, that position on the IMSA side, but they will certainly be backfilling Danielle's, uh, position there. But, uh, that's the only one that we know of only one that I documented, but, uh, yeah, overall, and I don't mean this in any kind of dismissive way, but, uh, tend not to write about, Hey, there's a new right rear tire changer for team, whatever it tends to be race engineer, Maybe an assistant engineer, maybe, maybe an assistant engineer, but pretty much stick to the uh, race engineer and crew chief moves. So there's that. Uh, Bobby Rooney says, I saw your recent mention that the improvements at Laguna Seca are expected to include track resurfacing. I'd argue that this year's race was as good of a race you could see on a road course, tons of passing, massive speed differentials based on tire type and age, and overall great racing, especially for a track not historically conducive conducive i'm talking about my teeth apparently conducive to good racing uh with a freshly resurfaced track we're going to go back to more grip less tire drop off on a typically processional race that would be a shame if so i hear you bobby and i know that pagano for example simon's one person who's like no don't repave it uh the flip side is is pretty much everybody else is saying yes please repave it um this 2021 race was indeed a good one uh, I think the, well, granted, it was good in particular in the closing laps. Up till that point, unless I'm forgetting, I recall it being a snoozer. Typical Laguna. Uh, leaders lead, uh, the chasers chase, not a lot going on. Then things got good with a strategery split. That being the front runners were uh, on their strategy, great used tires, older uh, primary tires, if I recall, to close the race. And our man, Romain Rochon, whose name pronounced correctly is uh, on fresh rubber. Uh, if I remember, I think reds, just a big mismatch. And if I'm wrong about red, whatever it was, it was indeed a, a significant mismatch in tire quality. That was what turned the race into something that became uh, exciting, quote, thrilling, and F-U-N fun. But overall, uh, had Romain been on the same strategy as everyone else, I don't think we're having this conversation. So if we're talking new track paving, I guess what comes to mind is Barber, maybe? Uh, Barber's had, I think, some pretty good races in recent years, underwent a repaving in very recent years, and didn't really fall off, drop off, or stop being entertaining. So I know there's a concern here, but Laguna's normally bad. And so why not give it a shot with repaving? In theory, the tires won't be wearing uh, as bad, but we should still have a difference between primaries uh, and alternates. And also knowing that Firestone can certainly, based on surface grip, uh, needing to plan ahead a bit to do this, but they can certainly make the primes more prime and the alternates more alternate. 
and present a, uh, a bigger, greater amount of grip that maybe does not last as long. So let's not discount Firestone's ability to react and still give us a bit of separation. Uh, let's see, where do we go after Bobby? Shauna Oakwood. Always love your questions here, Shauna. Thank you for sending them in. Uh, she says, I know some drivers with their own podcasts, Hinch and Rossi and Connor Daly, have expressed frustration over the proposed changes to qualifying with the bigger fields next year. Any idea if drivers have talked to the big bosses and if anything may be revised with those potential plans? Uh, she says, how would you like to see qualifying look next year? Merry holidays to you and Shabrell. Thanks so much, Shauna. Due to find out here shortly, uh, these ideas of turning the first round of qualifying into, instead of uh, a split between one half of the field and the other half, into a three-way deal. So three rounds to start, fewer cars on track. Uh, eight, eight, and eight, nine, nine, and nine, whatever it might be. Um, and then break that down into uh, maybe the fast nine. Take instead of the fast six, uh, just take three ish cars from each uh, from those first three rounds and then just go straight into the fast nine. Um, I don't know. Uh, as long as there's not a lot of time wasted between. Uh, the first three rounds. That would be the thing that I would really want to uh, to have happen. I, granted, I realize that if you look at how we do things now with Firestone Fast 12, we do the two groups and we take six from each and put them together. And then we have the Fast, whatever you call it. And from those 12, we go to six. And then those six settle who's on pole and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know. Um this sounds like it might be simplified a little bit. Do know that these, uh, the ideas were presented to the drivers earlier this week. And, uh, I am indeed looking to get a feel as for whether they said, yeah, let's do it or not. And if they said no, be interested to hear Shauna, whether IndyCar said, thanks for your input, but yes. So, uh, we'll find out. I don't have a, I don't have an issue with it. If it's, truly based on, look, we're going to be oversubscribed too many cars uh, at some of these tracks. Um, I don't know. I mean, really, the problems that we get with having, air quote, too many cars on track and qualifying is everyone has the same idea at the same time to wait as late as possible, uh, wanting to get, quote, clear track, but everyone's trying to get clear track at the same time. Doesn't always work. People make mistakes send their cars out too late, too soon, to whatever, a red flag comes, and they didn't make their uh, best tire run yet, and blah, blah, blah. Like, do I think that going to three rounds with fewer cars on track in each is going to magically solve everything? Are teams going to stop making mistakes, stop waiting to the last minute? I don't really see procedurally a whole lot changing in how the teams uh, administer their qualifying runs. So I don't know. I don't think there's anything wrong with IndyCar's qualifying format for the road and street courses, but I'm also open to them trying something new just because if it works out better or creates more drama, then uh, I'm game, but I don't see anything's being fundamentally flawed that needs to be fixed. As I use a lot of words, start with letter F. 
Andrew Miller says, any expectation uh, PPG's sponsorship is going to make an appreciable jump from the 8,500? Um, he said, or is Robin still cursing about the purse from heaven next year? A million, uh, a million just for poll. Now, that would get people interested. Just thinking out loud. Yeah, I, I don't know. Are people truly motivated to watch things today based on money? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, a million bucks is cool, but I don't know. Uh, it seems like that's not maybe not a sum that's going to get 500,000 more people to tune in and watch or 100,000 more tickets sold for qualifying. I don't know. I love the idea of more money going to the teams, but you mentioned the PPG qualifying sponsorship, at least for when I asked IndyCar's communications department. Uh, they told me there's no change in NTT sponsoring the Pole Awards, so um, I'm not totally clear on that, Andrew. Uh, but... Ah, look, whatever can be done to make the teams wealthier, uh, concerned less about money, I'm all for that. Uh, anything that IndyCar can do to bring in more sponsors where that sponsorship money does indeed help their teams. Um, some big expenses coming here soon with a new hybrid engine formula, with new chassis that are going to be needed. So question here is the series quote helping itself by signing new sponsors more sponsors and making themselves better easing their financial burden uh, or some of this all of it half of it whatever being passed on to their teams i don't know uh, but i hope it's the latter uh, champ car forever this is glad to see that ppg has returned to a more prominent role with the series so in today's paddock how much of an Indy car is actually painted uh, versus how much gets wrapped. Uh, is it just a base paint with the wrap, depending what race or sponsor is to be prominent that weekend? Pretty much full wraps. Uh, to my knowledge here, I haven't seen any real situation where there's base paint applied and then a wrap on top of it because weight is the thing. Uh, they're certainly trying to uh, avoid and not have sitting out where it isn't needed on the extremities of the car. Uh, they'd rather take whatever weight savings they can get by not using paint, just using a wrap. And if there's a need to ballast the car up, have that ballast placed centrally where it is optimal for vehicular performance. Uh, let's see, Jason Hatfield. I feel like we're, we're ripping through the show here, which makes me happy. Uh, I don't know if you heard Rosie meowing in the back, but normally I have one cat that's... Uh, letting their voice be heard. Uh, Jason Hatfield, happy holidays. May the new year bring Shabrell good health. Brother Jason, thank you. And thank you again for uh, your your super kind and thoughtful gift for my wife. Um, asks, have you heard any news about the projects or improvements being done to IMS this offseason? I know Roger had a wish list. Um <laughs> You mentioned there were still some, uh, uh, we'll just call them urinals. That's not, not what you wrote. So I'll just say urinals, uh, to be replaced. Uh, I don't know what those are. It is a good reminder though. Uh, I'm going to write down a note here. Uh, Monday, even though I'm off call R P and ask. So there you go. 
I don't have an answer, Jason, but maybe RP will give me uh, a hint as to that wish list, and maybe that'll uh, become the subject of a little story that I write while I'm, quote, not working. JJ Gertley, you're back after opening the show. Says, Marshall, put on your team executive hat. When choosing a driver, is it easier to find somebody who goes full send, like Patricio Ward or Robert Wickens, and get them to think about the big picture over time, or start with someone mature for their years and speed them up? Uh, how much do you think about whether the full send driver is going to cost you more in parts? How much do you think about that? Uh, and how many crew hours uh, they're going to burn until they mature? So great question. Great, great question. Also need to mention Jim Kaiser, who puts together our questions each week. Thank you for not only everything you've done picking up this year uh, for our pal Tim Falkowitz, who had to uh, focus on work. But Jim, I should have mentioned this in the beginning, going to be going in for knee surgery and very very needed knee surgery so he's going to be out the next week or two so if you uh if you get a chance i'm trying to remember jim's twitter handle is it at jim kaiser k-a-y-s-e-r-2 or something like that um assuming i'm trying to type and find it right now yep at jim kaiser j-i-m-k-a-y-s-e-r and the number two if you get a chance uh just send jim a little note say hey man thank you appreciate you thinking about you hope you recover well because he is genuinely truly a uh, a real blessing and gift for the show and for hashtag me personally and my wife um so thinking about this topic jim and i should say jj i apologize um it's a great one because it is a existential question that has a very simple answer Talk to any team manager, race engineer, mechanic, whomever, and they will tell you universally. It's never easy to slow down the full send amazing rocket driver. Never easy. Sometimes impossible. But you have better odds of pleading your case to that driver than speeding up the one who lacks that same aggression or couple tenths worth of speed altogether. Uh, if it's lacking, I hate to say it, it's always, but it's always going to be lacking. Doesn't mean you can't improve, but I am really, truly struggling to think of any scenario with the driver that I worked with over the years or have known or have followed, covered, etc. where you go, They don't have it, but through repetition and testing and simulation and this and that and coaching and reading of books and seeing sports psychologists and through all these layers of things we're going to pile on, you're going to have it. It's just not there. And it's not unique to racing, JJ. Pick whatever your favorite sport is. Look at the ones who we consider to be superstars, the full sends of baseball, basketball, football, hockey, golf, whatever. And yes, you will often find players, athletes that are close or somewhat close, might have the, a, a win every now and then, uh, whatever it is in whatever sport, but they aren't champions. They aren't truly feared. They're kind of the, the oh, look at that right? 
I think back to Formula One a little bit. One of the guys, one of the drivers that I loved, who was kind of full send, but not always in the smartest of ways, and that being Jean Alesi. A lot of circumstances of timing, and he signed for this team this year instead of the other one, and that was a mistake. And right, I mean, he certainly was not the greatest architect of his own career, but he's a guy that retired with one Formula One win. And I swear he looked like someone who, I don't know if he was going to be a world champion, but should have had 10 or 15 or 20 F1 wins over his career. Got it done once. And I always think about guys like a Lacey where you go, it's clear you have talent. It's clear that you can get the job done on occasion. Why did it only happen once in your career? Those are the folks that I think of JJ the ones where you talk about mature but got to speed them up and, you know, there, there's some tuning up you need to do. Give me the wild child. Let me put the fear of God and my size 13 foot <laughs> uh, in their you-know-whats and try and keep them off the fence. But give me that driver every time. Because you can do magical things with that person while trying to tune them down. Again, it's hard. It's not as hard, but it's almost as hard to down-tune a driver than up-tune a driver. But for the ones who are lacking something, and I'm not talking about a 14-year-old, right? They're going to get it in time. I'm talking about a 18, 19, 22, whatever-year-old. If you don't have it by then... It's not happening. And you can improve. You can go from being a P14 finisher to a P10, P8, maybe get near the podium every now and then, maybe even get one every now and then. But rarely, if it's missing from the beginning, it's never going to be there. So that's why some of the wild childs that you see come through, those teams are ready and willing to pay for the spare parts and spend those extra hours repairing things because they know they're going to be sipping champagne uh, somewhat frequently uh, amid crashes and until that driver matures. Uh, let's see. Uh, James Counter, we're sticking on the full send theme. You say, MP, you've asked us to go full send this episode, so here's my send. What's the best full send you've seen? Uh, the pass you think of when you think about passing an IndyCar. It says, I pray the two of you stay strong and have a good and tasty Christmas. Thank you, James. Was there in 96 at Laguna for the pass? So, of course, the pass. If you are an IndyCar fan, newish IndyCar fan, don't know what the pass is, uh, type in the pass and IndyCar, and you should get a pretty amazing video of young Brian Herta being passed by oh, not quite as young Alessandro Zanardi, 1996 Laguna Seca, Cart IndyCar season finale. I mean, that's the gold standard, right? Uh, and there are certainly others. Um, trying to think of some other full sins. I've mentioned this, and it's not passing, but I mentioned this, I think, uh, on my season one Dinner with Racers appearance, and have shared it once or twice before on the show. I'll keep it super short, but the greatest act of you are totally insane. How did you do that? Why did you do it? 
and who told you you could? Uh, nobody, but you did it anyways, and you survived. Uh, that was our man, uh, Mr. It Is What It Is, Juan Monterior, a.k.a. Juan Pablo Montoya. His 2000 Indy uh, 500 ROP, rookie test, was there working with Scott Harrington, uh, who I think was having to do a refresher, or I forget what, but I've worked with a uh, it's a lot of strange little footnotes in my career, y'all. Most of them not worth mentioning. This is one of them. Uh, but was there, and by chance, I don't really understand why, because there weren't a ton of cars there for ROP, but we were all the way at pit out, like truly like the last pit stall uh, before driving on to uh, the apron and heading out onto the track. Again, it's not like there were 20 cars for ROP and, you know, we were spaced. Like, I don't really know. I don't think there was anyone within five or 10 pit stalls of us. No disrespect to Scott Harrington, but, you know, it's not like we had a lot to keep secret and hide, right? You know, uh, not exactly a, a threat. Nonetheless, we were all the way down. So where that's important here is being pretty darn close to turn one got to stand there and watch Montoya pull out for the first time and go and do his first lap. And the driving instructors back then, they may even still do it now, uh, were pretty clear in saying, when you go out for your first lap, you know, obviously you're going to upshift a little bit, uh, but take it super easy in the turns. Come around turn four. You can accelerate up to the start-finish line, and then we want you to just coast. And whatever, I don't know what speed you're doing when you get there, but 150 miles an hour, maybe, but just get to the start finish line and coast. It's a long way to turn one, but that way you can just kind of get a feel for it. Your first time through turn one, and pick up the throttle a little bit and just easy, 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 easy. Got it. Great. So here Montoya pull away. And this is a guy who, you know, just mercurial talent, tor- just torched the cart IndyCar uh, series coming in. And what does he do? No, he doesn't listen to any of that. <laughs> so this is back with the uh, old IRL uh, naturally aspirated V8s. And so in his Chip Ganassi racing, target Chip Ganassi racing, G-Force chassis, uh, he goes run, rumbling by the pit lane speed limiter, uh, gets past us, pulls out onto the apron, unlatches, speed limiter, starts accelerating. And it just didn't sound james like what it was supposed to uh it just really didn't sound like it was supposed to because the revs are coming up and he's clearly not just pooching it around and you know real easy easy he's starting to wind this thing up and i can hear that like going into turn three like hey yeah dude i've been here for quite a few ropes this isn't how it's supposed to sound he was the only car on track and so you hear everything and so he comes around turn four, and uh, yeah, he's revving hard. Now, again, I'm thinking he's going to be, you know, short shifting and whatever, doing like they told. No, <laughs> he is like max revs kind of thing. And you hear this thing, and again, my mind's going, this is an ROP. What is going on? But I knew, again, this truly the guy has not completed his first full lap of the course yet. He's freaking balls out, flat out, coming out of turn four. And I don't know what the number was. Maybe I can get my, my friends uh, on the data side at, at Chip Ganassi Racing, if they can dig this up to find out what he was doing on that lap. 
I don't know what the mile per hour was, but I know it was high, way higher than what anybody at the IRL wanted him to be doing. And he, whatever gear it was, fifth gear, sixth gear, I don't know. Uh, not only did he blow past our finish, right? No lift, forget the lift there. He blew past, but this guy got up as big a head of steam as he could go as fast as he thought he could fire down into turn one before doing a big lift and then getting a feel for how the car would react. And no joke, I'll always cite this until I see something greater as the craziest, ballsiest thing I've seen someone try and do in an IndyCar because he had no experience of the track. Keep in mind that he pulled out on the apron, so he'd never been through turn one before in coming into that. Uh, He has basically charged as hard as he thought he could go as late on the throttle as he thought he could go before lifting and basically turning at the same time, kind of again at that turning point where the, the straight wall on the right ends and it starts to curve. And he does this knowing that he's lifting and turning at the same time when you shouldn't all the weight falls to the back of the car and the rear tires takes the load off the fronts and he knew that this was going to cause understeer and then he's going to have to catch try and turn more and that's going to create oversteer and i don't know if it was to prove a point to the driver stewards educators you name it running rop no disrespect to whomever it was they may have been indy 500 winners before but i can guarantee you they weren't playing with the same talent as montoya I don't know what the motivation was. I've asked him about it, and he didn't really give any hard answer to it as to why. But it was basically a R-O-P-F-U. And so it's looking like you're going to crash, dude. Like, did the throttle stick open? That's the only thing that makes sense here. And no, fully intentional, cold tires. Nothing is supposed to work the way that it did. But he indeed flew down, chucked the car in the corner. And I'm not saying it was like big sprint car, dirt, you know, opposite lock type thing. But the car had some like wiggles where you go, those are like death wiggles. Like, no, 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 no. Because it's Montoya, he caught them, kept the thing under control. Once he got it settled, back on the throttle and takes off. I mean, my jaw was on the ground. And I never remember whether he continued and did a second lap. I, I mean, they, they waved him in, I'm sure, as quickly as they could and yelled at him. And I'm sure he probably giggled and told them F you as well. But just one of those things, James, where you want to talk about full send, no, made no sense, the kind of thing that a, a mortal or even a, a great, but someone not, possessed of the same confidence and car control as Montoya would have been scraping themselves off the wall. Uh, what this guy did, he should not have been able to do, but he did that. And then frankly, it just sent a message to any that were paying attention that, and this is how it's going to go for the rest of the month. And the guy then authored the biggest stomping I've ever seen in the quote modern era of IndyCar 
we could go back to 1994 and say, well, hey, wasn't the Penske with the beast, the big crazy stock block, crazy boost V8 engine, wasn't that the biggest butt kicking ever? <sighs> Keep in mind, that was not in a spec formula time. They had a motor advantage that allowed them to make everyone else look like children. In 2000, there were no real chassis or engine advantages to be had. Montoya, as an individual, made everyone look like children. And having seen that by pure luck or good fortune or whatever you call it, James, during ROP, um, I mean, I've seen Montoya do a lot of things in cart and even in any car when he came back in sports car. Like I've seen the guy do a bunch of things where you go, yeah, that's a Montoya thing. No one else could do it. None of them top what he did that day during ROP. Uh, let's see. Ryan Terpstra, does any car have well-defined rules for wheel-to-wheel racing? As far as what constitutes forcing another driver off, driver off, not worried about leaving the track to gain an advantage. There is no such opportunity on the entire schedule. Uh, sure there are um turn 11 at laguna seca comes to mind as the first but i believe so uh race control has this whole multi-page document uh that they work through on behaviors and results and who gets penalized for what so uh since the question is do they have well-defined rules uh, i believe they do yes uh chris hoffman marshall are engine manufacturers allowed to make small repairs uh or change small parts like say piston between races would that necessitate an engine change i don't know if i call a piston a small part because if you got to change that you're probably having a really bad day uh chris trying to think here the between races i think is the the problematic part um if i remember correctly apologize here if i don't but i do believe that if it's at the track and it's something that they can change and it's i don't know if there's an actual list there probably is keep in mind indycar doesn't publish all their rules uh some of these things are kept uh between menu themselves and manufacturers and whatnot but i know that there is a, a an allowance for and i'm using air quotes small repairs hey the this thing had an issue we're just going to go back and you know have someone from the series stand there and watch but you know we're going to make this change in the whether it's the chevy racing or the hpd transporter you know tech mobile tech uh thing we're going to go and make this quick little thing uh change and that should be just fine put the motor back in off we go no engine change no penalty type deal and uh, uh unforced engine change uh penalty so there is i just don't have an idea of how expansive that list uh, might be if it's like hey the crankshaft snapped in half but somehow miraculously didn't hurt the block like i don't know i don't know if they're gonna let you change the crank but is it you know something valve related or uh this you know small little stuff uh i know that they tend to be okay with that there's the one other facet to this though and that's the safety part so I know of one instance that comes to mind, maybe two this past season, where the manufacturer or motor had a problem. Manufacturer said, yeah, we think it's actually maybe somewhat of a small issue and we probably could fix it here. 
but for the sake of quote safety and also not wanting to risk what we think we could fix and resolve but can't fully prove if that's the case we don't want to put our driver at risk probably someone who's vying for a championship or something like that and they just went ahead and said hey we'd rather you take the the grid penalty for this uh than uh face being out of the motor all together so that's the um that's the deal there my friend uh why don't we get down to the last couple here and then we will say farewell hopefully keep this a a vaguely compact episode for you uh steve grinstead you ask a great one wanting me to cast national lampoon's christmas vacation using drivers crew and owners um i'm drawing a blank on all the characters i haven't seen that movie in like forever so i i I don't want to fail you i'd rather just fail you in regular ways so apologize that was going to be a uh uh uh, closing question i might grab something different here um steven kills donk says marshall best to you and your wife thanks steven uh it says there have been a lot of questions in recent weeks about lowering the weight of the next indy car and the sentiment was repeated by pato and michael in your interviews what if an F1 team like Red Bull decided to build a car with all the crash worthiness of an Indy car? Money was no object. Uh, how much weight could be removed? Also, it seems like uh, what weight savings are available are mostly in the rear of the car and would this negatively affect the weight distribution? Um, the latter part, yes, Stephen, for sure. Mentioned this recently on the show. So um, I can't tell you how much weight Red Bull would be able to take out if money was no object because I don't know what they do. Um, and I also know that money is an object, so it's not really uh, um, a reality-based thing I could answer. There's certainly weight that can be saved. We know that for sure. I uh, feel like I've discussed this a couple of times recently, so I don't want to go too deep back into this. Uh, Stephen, you might listen back to a couple of the recent episodes uh, if you haven't by chance. Um there are things on the current car, the DW12, that are aluminum, for example, and would be going to lighter materials, more costly materials, magnesium being one of them. Um, that's an area to take weight off the back of the car for sure. The issue here, and this is just something where I'm not sure how the problem quote gets solved is one of weight distribution can you mention that towards the end here um since the front of the car with the tub is where they hope to save a fair amount of weight with design and just full incorporation of all the safety bits from the beginning it's one of the things that i always had to keep in mind for example when building a new production-based car you look at all the crap that gets placed inside the car you go great we're going to gut the interior take all that stuff out what's the front of the car that we don't need what can we move what can we take out and take weight off weight off the car go great maybe not a ton but a lot of the things that we might remove for sure are saved from the the firewall uh from the pedals backwards go great well if it's a front wheel drive car huh so weight over the front axle is already an issue we've just taken a bunch of weight off the back of the car oh this is going to be an understeering pig 
So you do things like, well, hey, the battery, okay, uh, it sits up front. Well, it weighs, whatever it weighs, 30 pounds, 20, 40, whatever. Pretty common to see those thrown in the back. And you go, all right, well, cool. Well, that's some weight we can put on the back. Uh, it needs to be there. What other things can we put towards the back? Uh, well, the fuel cell, okay, where can we place that at the back? How are we going to help get our weight distribution as optimal as possible? This being an Indy car and the way they're constructed, you can't exactly throw the fuel tank at the back of the car uh, or at the front of the car or wherever you might want to be to tip the balance to make the thing more nimble uh, on the front tires and rear tires. But yeah, there is definitely a quote concern of, well, if you're able to take weight off the front uh, with the new tub and whatnot, great, but are we exacerbating a rear heavy car balance wise to begin with? take some weight off the back like i said with uh going to lighter and far more expensive materials but i do wonder if you start to think about well, where do we place are there places we can move some of the uh, new componentry towards the front of the side pods towards farther forward to balance things out big conceptual questions that smart folks like tino belly bill pappas the folks at delara just going to need to think about uh, what weight distribution number can they hit that is going to not have the thing popping a wheelie in a straight line because it's so rear heavy? Um, it's a question. It's a definite concern. Overall, though, the goal would be to lighten the overall vehicle as not to torch and destroy the tires. That's the big issue that folks are mentioning after the recent tests of the car and 2023 weight configuration it was oh boy we're getting to a high enough number that this is just getting ridiculous and it's going to start in particular to wear out tires um we already have a car that's going to be crazy heavy going to harder tires significantly harder tires to try and make them last you're then taking away more grip um brakes as well are the brakes going to be sufficient do we need more braking i know they're carbon brakes they're light but still bigger brakes that's going to be more wheel more rotating mass kind of a crazy puzzle here not totally sure how it gets solved wonder if indycar has just painted itself into a an interesting place um love to find out more about how they're going to solve it uh, why don't we close on this? Uh, let me see. Just reading through a couple here below uh, the line. Uh, fine disregard from Reddit. Not sure if you sent in questions before. You're wanting to know if IndyCar has decided on the hybrid power unit choice, what it's going to be. Is it one uh, MGU or two? What, 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 what? I believe I have an answer to that. Not quite ready to put that here in the podcast or in print yet, but uh, hoping to know more here ASAP. Um, let's go with this. It's just maybe a nice one, an easy one, uh, a softball to close this episode and head into the holidays. Uh, from Brian Dunbar says, Marshall, question for you. Assuming you'll be back at IMS for the month of May next year, planning on it, uh, how long does it take for you to set up shop in the media center? And are you the last one out when everything is over? Uh, this is best you and the 
your wife, Chabrell, and the cats. Well, thank you, Brian. Ah, uh, depends. Uh, last time I was there, I set up a whole big podcasting thing with uh, everything and uh, decorated them with stickers and all kinds of stuff. That probably took me an hour alone. Getting in first day, it does take about a half hour, 45 minutes, because it's not just what I'm going to do that day. It's, hey, I'm going to be here for two weeks or whatever. So trying to, yeah, set up home, get the key from IMS to the little storage lockers they have there and put stuff in there and blah, 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 blah. So uh, it's taken one or two trips sometimes from the car to bring all the crap uh, up. And so, yeah, it could take a little bit. Uh, I used to be the first person in more or less than the last person out. Slowed that down a bit to, I don't know, fifth or 10th person in and usually one of the last people out, but I try not to go crazy. Um, as I get a little bit older each year, I do, I don't know, uh, being the person who's work, trying to work the hardest, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, that doesn't hold as much appeal to me as it once did. Doesn't mean that I intentionally work less or less hard, just, uh, grinding. I don't know. I'd rather say, Hey, I'm going to get out of here. It's eight o'clock, eight 30, and then go get something real to eat, not fast food. And uh, might even just still have that in the hotel, but give myself some options here. And then if I want to crack the laptop open and continue while there, that being different than I'm going to stay till nine or 10 each night, do it all there, but then get back late, have nothing but bad food options for me. And then, you know, fall asleep whenever. So just trying to be a little bit smarter that way, Bryant. <sighs> but yeah, I do love to get in, get set up and get going bit of a, a service dog that way i do like working i'm curious is there going to come a point in time here where i'm just going to say you know what man uh next generation reporters you all put in the crazy hours i feel like i have done enough maybe that's when i'll have my robin miller moment where i'm going to be like screw you i'm going to go have tenderloin uh, sandwiches and talk a bunch of crap with my buddies uh the rest of you you go typey type and whatever else so uh, is that day coming? I don't know. It may never come, but I'm curious if it will. Y'all, thanks so much for, uh, again, everything that you do. Thanks to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com for saying, yep, let's keep this party going in 2022. <sighs> Whatever I figure out I'm going to do over the next couple of weeks, I'll certainly let you know by social media. Other than that, enjoy your holidays for sure. Thank you. I'll speak to you soon. <laughs>